So, how, how did you become the person you are today? <clears throat> That's a very big question. And, and the way we, we become who we are, if we're going to use a metaphor, would be more like a slow cooker than a microwave. Right? A microwave is like... A microwave is like matrix style where you just kind of get zapped in, right? Where, where the slow cooker is like you're kind of sitting in the broth of your surroundings. We won't, we won't take that metaphor too far. You are, you are slowly soaking in that which you're surrounded by. Um, the, the people you surround yourself with, the place you grew up, all those things. And, and so we've been in Titus for the last three weeks, and we're going to be continuing Titus. The whole goal of Titus is what it looks like to be a healthy church. So as we gather together, and we literally <laughs> marinate together in the truth, as we, we rub off on each other, as we flavor one another, what are we becoming? Are we becoming something that looks more like God? Because the goal of Jesus' coming was... right. He became like us so that we could become like him, that we could bear his image without, without shame, without hindrance. And so, so our, how are we flavoring one another? The goal of the healthy church. The first week, what we looked about at, in Titus, uh, just verses 1 through 4, it says that the knowledge of truth leads to godliness. And so as we, as we gather around the, the truth together, that we should be increasingly as a church Becoming more like God. That's a tall order. It would be a lot easier to gather around the goal of, we as a church gather and get more people. Because then we could be like, oh sweet, we had like 50 last week, we had 60, and then we had 70. (laughs) That's an easy goal. But we, we decided not to gather around that goal and gather around the goal the scripture lays, which is simply, if we focus on seeing Jesus for who he is and, and being his disciple and becoming more like him, then he kind, of, he kind of decides the results of that. Week two was, was how we move towards godliness. God has, has raised up leaders in the church who will keep what is at the center at the center and who those people are. Right? We looked, they, were, they were family men. They were spirit-formed men. They were... They were truth-shaped people. That, that as you have leaders who, this isn't like everyone has their own little individual identity, but we come together and you have a leadership that is going, this is truth, and we are going in this direction. That should, be, um, that should be a huge blessing for the church. The next week we looked at why exactly that's needed. And one of the reasons why is because typically we, we maybe don't, treasure the truth like we should treasure the truth. So the example that was used was if you have a, right, a child that runs out in the road and you're like, wait a minute, not wise. Right? And you're just kind of standing. No, what you would do is you'd be like, stop! Right? And you'd like run after them and you'd like hold them back and you'd keep them from, from harm. But, but how often when we deal with truth are we like, yeah, it's probably just not a good idea. Instead of going, no! <laughs> like, that decision, that, that idea, that truth that you are following will lead to harm for your soul and for those who maybe you rub off on. 
And so being, being people who take the truth seriously realize that truth is a matter of, of life and death. This, this week what we're looking at is that as we gather as a church, as we looked at those formal roles of elders, that those aren't the only roles in a church. That when we gather, all of us have roles, but while there's formal roles, there are what we can call like more familial roles or family roles. In a church, oftentimes, or in any organization, you can have people who have formal roles, and so you kind of just let them do what they're going to do, and then that gives you the liberty to kind of do whatever you want to do. For example, have you ever heard somebody go, well, I pay taxes. <laughs> and typically what that means is like, well, I pay for them to take care of this country. Right? I don't really have to care. And, and that can often be in the church too. Like, well, I tithe. Like, they're supposed to do all the discipling. And so what happens in the church is literally, if you look at statistics, it's like 10% of the people do 100% of the work. And, and even in our country, what the care can look like is, right, people can, like, litter and be like, well, I pay taxes. Somebody will pick that up. And so what happens is we, we don't realize that, that even though there's formal roles, that we all have roles also. And the roles that are outlined here in, in Titus are, are really exciting. So where do you fit in? That's, that's kind of today's message. Where do you fit in to the context of the church. And the overriding mission of this morning is this, to realize that the church is a gathering of people all invested in one another for the sake of godliness. So, so a, a church, a healthy church, is a people that each one of you come, and you don't just come going, how am I going to gain from this message? But how can I invest in the people around me? Invest in the person I'm sitting next to or, or the person I've never met before who comes in. And this is, this is hard. This can be very difficult because it, it takes you beyond just accountability for yourself to being accountable for your brothers and sisters who've all gathered here. So if you have your Bible, open up to Titus. We'll be in Titus 2, verses 1 through 10. Which reads, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. There's a lot here, and if you were really tracking, there's probably some things that that you found challenging. 
And so uh, there's three things we're going to look at. The first thing is this, that, that godliness, which is the goal, right? That, that as we, we hear truth, we live truth, that we are transformed, that we're changed into the image of Jesus Christ more and more. Um, but that godliness is something that is taught. And, and you see that here in, in every, as, it, as it looks at every different season of life someone can be in. It says, teach them this. Right? Teach older men. Teach older women. Teach young women. Teach young men. Teach the slaves. So, godliness is taught. Why is this so challenging? It's so challenging because of this. Because we are people who often, whether we'll admit it or not, assume that we can function by our instincts. What I mean by that is, for your life, the majority of the decisions you make that you look back and you're like, that was stupid are because you were functioning on an instinct that just came from somewhere inside of you, and you don't know where that came from. But you did it, and you were like, what just happened? And, and those things don't change immediately when you commit yourself to following Christ or commit yourself to walking alongside of a church who will also just be there going, this is what godliness looks like. So... Oftentimes, your first impulses, your off-the-cuff responses, what immediately comes to your mind when someone says something to you doesn't immediately change when you become a Christian. <laughs> Does anyone relate with this at all? <laughs> and, and for us, it might not just be what we say, but it could be what we think or what we feel. And, and so what goes on in our hearts is that we go, man, I, I committed to following Jesus, but I'm just, like three months in, I'm not good at it. 30 years in, I'm still not good at it. And so that's why those who are entrusted with the leadership of the church, it says, teach, teach the way we should go. But this requires two things. It requires, one, that we know what to teach, and then two, that we are submissive to the teaching that we receive. Okay, so what we teach is this. He says sound doctrine. And has anyone heard about being like sound of mind? That means you're not crazy. <laughs> so sound doctrine is, is literally saying healthy thinking about God. And when we start with healthy thinking about God... Healthy living or godliness follows from that. There's this beautiful, if, if you're an employee of the Coffee Oasis, you get every week a, what we call a communique or from the desk of Dave. And this week, I had a quote from a book, Knowing God. And, and listen to this. J.I. Packer writes, he says, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work the doings and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. Okay, and we're going to keep reading this, but, but realize as we read this, you're, you're getting asked to think deeper thoughts than you're asked to on a daily basis. 
There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplation of God. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the thought of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead and its glorious trinity. See, we aren't used to thinking like that. What we're used to thinking about is, oh, I believed in Jesus, now I should just be changed. Like, eventually I should just become more like him. But what this is calling us to, which is exactly what the scripture is calling us to, is, is to, to not be conformed any longer power in the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means that you are able to think in greater depth and pleasure and excitement and fullness on who God is. Right? It's, it's not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. But it's that you're, it, there's three things I mentioned here. It's that your mind is improved by the contemplation of God. Your soul is humbled by the contemplation of God. And your spirit is expanded. Yeah, yeah exciting. <laughs> so when, when you are someone who isn't just going, oh yeah, it's true for me. But you're someone who has set yourself on the path of coming to know him more and more and more. <laughs> you're getting changed by that. By right thinking of God that is, is changing you into a, the person that when you invest, when you rub off on somebody, they're becoming more like Jesus. And that's an exciting church. So, godliness must, must be taught. There's the role of teaching in the church, and there's the role of all of us, even us who are teachers, to be disciples. And as I remind us all the time, disciple simply means learner, to be a learner of God. So, number one, keep learning. Keep pressing into sound doctrine. Don't be somebody who cheapens it to just say like, oh, I said some words, and I'm in, and I'm being changed. But be somebody who, who treats this as serious, as valuable as it really is. The, third is, the second thing is this. Uh, live in the season that you're in. And what I mean by this is that you're, um, it, it outlines five different roles in, in this passage here, uh, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Um, and there, there is um, there's devastating consequences from us not realizing the season of life we're in and not, not digging into that. I, probably the way I saw it most visibly horrifying was when I went to school at WSU and, and you had moms and dads weekend. Those were terrifying weekends because you had moms and dads that would come and they would just go crazy. 
And they, they were in no way leaving an example for their kids to follow, the, the younger men and younger women, right? But understanding and appreciating the season that we're in is this, because there is, and I, and I believe you can see this right in Titus, but there is a special gift that comes with the, the time that we have, right? There is a gift to childhood, right? There is a, as I see my nephews and nieces growing up in, in homes where they are protected and loved, and, and they can, like, figure things out in that context, there is an innocence and just a freedom there that you don't have any other time in your life. And it's good if, if you had that child, and, and you have some parents that, like, see that child, and they, they're like, they treat them like an adult, like, you should know better, right? <laughs> they, they don't. They don't know better. What they need is they need to be treated like a child and raised up from there. And then there's this time, young adulthood, where <laughs> I was thinking this morning as I drove here, and I, I thought of my nephews and nieces, when they get to teenage years, how different they will be. Right? How I, now when I call them, and just, they just want to wrestle, right? I hang out with them, and, and there's that special time. When they're teenagers, I'm going to have to work really hard at being cool in their eyes. That will be a nearly impossible task, I know. <laughs> because I'll be like, hey, August, it's your Uncle Daniel. I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> but then, then as they're, they're there and they're, getting, they're still with unconditional love getting invested in and, and they're learning to grow. And that's in the Ten Commandments, the first... You guys, some of you might know this. The first commandment that, that has a promise attached to it is honor your father and mother, and then everything, then things will go well for you. <laughs> so, so how important it is that in those ages they are learning to then honor their their elders, those who are older than them, right? Because if they don't, and, and I think this is one of the most devast- if you are someone who does not hold any honor for those who are older than you. You have a, a blindness that that is will lead you in such terrible error. You will miss out on so many golden opportunities because you are unwilling to heed the advice of those who have gone before you and learned so much. So, so learn what it means to be a young man. Learn what it means to be a, a young woman, and treasure that time in your life. And then those who are older. Right? Don't, don't try to be young again. Right? You can be childlike in your faith. But set an example for those who, who are, are wanting to ask those questions of what does it look like to be in a, a faithful marriage or what, is it, what does it look like to do you know, personal finance or all those things that, that people who are young adults are, are honestly hungry to know. That's why in the schools... And then uh, in our programs up here, we do this, program, this uh, curriculum called Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make. It's what are you going to do about your family? What are you going to do about relationships? What are you going to do about uh, addictions right, in your life? What are you going to do about your identity? All those things. We, we talk because we know that, that young adults are, are really, they want to know. But maybe 
but maybe they're scared to ask or no one's having that conversation with them. And so for you who are older men and women, are you valuing that time in your life? And I, as I thought about this, this model for community is amazing. This model for community and for church is so exciting because, because everyone has a place and an opportunity to invest. Right? It's not just elders, but it is if you are, if you are older, who are you investing in? If you're younger, who are you honoring or also investing in? And, and it outlines some beautiful things here. One of the things in particular it outlines is, is self-control. Uh, three times it talks about that in these verses. And I think why it says this three times versus saying anything else three times is because, because to see our role and to walk in it requires us to defy the expectations that the world puts on us. Right? The expectation that the world puts on you, especially as a young adult, is this. Live it up while you've got the time. The older you get, the expectation that's put on you is prepare for retirement. Right? And that's, that's grand generalizations. <laughs> but the, the, the emphasis is not invest in those around you. Build them up. And by building them up in faith, they will in turn invest in you, and you'll be a community that grows in godliness. That's a, it's a promise. You can see this in a really beautiful way in the book of Acts, when you have this young man named Apollos. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Acts 18, verse 24. You have a young man named Apollos who is very gifted, and, and even in his gifting, though he... Um, he isn't uh, completely in line with the truth. And so they help him towards that. In verse 24, chapter 18, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So what you see here is you get this young man, Apollos, who is incredibly gifted and very bold in his faith. And, and in the, the little bit we get about Priscilla and Aquila and, and Apollos, you get the sense that Apollos is far more gifted and, and bold. So people, he's probably a natural leader that when people hear him, they're like, I want to follow that guy. He's exciting. But he, he had an incomplete knowledge of the truth. Says he only knew the baptism of John. So what Priscilla and Aquila did is that they, they took Apollos under their wing and they discipled him, they mentored him, they invested in him. And so then he could go. And do you see how he is sent? The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And so Apollos, in his gifts, isn't arrogantly go, I don't have anything to learn from you. I'm, you know, I'm way more bold. Right? No, he, 
He honors those who are older than him, those who have experience more than him. And, and so he sits under them. And then when he leaves, he gets sent by them. This is incredible. This is beautiful. Is this what is happening in our church? Because this, this is what should happen. The model is mentoring others towards maturity in Christ. And having the humility to be mentored. And also having the courage, if you have the experience, to invest in those that need to be mentored by you. They need to hear not just your glory stories. They need to hear your failures. And, and that, that's where the challenge can be. Is maybe you're somebody who, even in your, you're, you're older and you came to Christ later in life, and you, and you think, well, I have so much to learn myself. <laughs> Let people hear let people hear maybe ways that you, points in your life where you decide not to follow Jesus and then what it was like when you decided to give your life to Jesus and be that person that invests in others. The third thing is this. Display the difference. So godliness must be taught. Live in the season you're in. Value that and invest in those around you. And then display the differences being made. And in Titus, I'm really excited to talk about this because, because I think this is one of those passages that, that scare me. I don't know if it scares you, but it scares me. Sometimes when you're teaching, you generalize things. Like, it scares people. I'll just be honest, like, this scares me. So, in the last verse, it says this. So that in every way, they will make the teaching of God our Savior attractive. And the reason why this scares me is because you're like, well, isn't like, how do you make it more attractive? Because we all have experiences where something is made more attractive, and possibly it doesn't have, um, it just starts to decay on the inside, but it has more and more attractive qualities on the outside. There's two ways to make things more attractive, and this is what helps us. There's two ways to make things more attractive. One is by covering up something that is unattractive. Like, say you have rot on the side of a building, right? And you just whitewash it, right? You try to cover it up, but it's still it's rotting. So that's one way to make something... The other way is to uncover something that is attractive. Right? So people can see the beauty... So an example of this is... If we are people who are not seeing the beauty of God within us and others as attractive, what we will do is we will try to just make our, you know, ourselves um, or we'll, uh, just attractive in such a way that people are like, oh, wow, I like the way they look. But, but as we value godliness, what that looks like is, is we want people to stop judging by our... <laughs> our outward appearance, so they can see what's actually going on in our hearts, right? And we start valuing that in other people. I'll give you an example, because this is embarrassing. This will help break down some walls, right? So, like, two months ago, someone came in, and uh, you, you, you like hearing, after you preach a sermon, you like hearing people go, um, what they, talk about what they learned, 
Um, but the first thing this man did was he commented on how big my ears were. That was hurtful. <laughs> and right, instead of going, well, it's okay because on the inside is what matters. Right? I, was like, I was like, unbelievable. I'm going to find a way to critique him. Right? And I was like, nice mustache. So <laughs> I like mustaches. So I was kind of being truthful. <clears throat> I'm embarrassed now. So, so rather than being people who are, are actually, I value what is going on in your heart. We are being people who also are just trying to cover over the content of our lives by all these other things. We're chasing after what everyone else chases after. And, and when we make the gospel attractive, when we show people what God's doing on the inside, it is by, by trying to make them not distracted by the rest of us, right? He's saying, don't steal. Right? Don't be dishonest. Don't speak arrogantly to people. Be faithful. Be generous. Be kind. Be loving. Be patient. All those things. Why? Because that's uncovering the glory and the beauty that is inherent in the gospel. Right? You don't need to make the gospel look better than it is. All you need to do is uncover it. Be someone who isn't distracting from it. And then people will see, may people see what is going on, the transformation God is doing on inside of you. See how Jesus adorned the gospel. Jesus adorned the gospel by being, being in, in a greater way than anyone ever has been centered on what is most important. While people were like, well, let's crown you as king. Let's give you glory. Let's do all these things. Jesus kept coming back to what is most important. Right? He goes, I just do the will of the Father. I do what I hear the Father saying. That's what I do. That's <laughs> and in that way, he adorned the gospel like no one ever has before. So, Godliness is supposed to be taught. When you speak to one another, speak gospel. When we speak on Sunday mornings, we center people on Jesus. And as we learn, let's go do it. Live in the season you're in. Whether you are young or old, learn well where you're at. Be someone who displays the difference that God is making in your life by not continuing to be distracted by all the things that you were distracted by before you came to Jesus. What's most important isn't, and it says in Matthew 6, what I eat, what I drink, what I wear. And it's Matthew, it says, all the pagans run after those things. That's not what you run after anymore. Because what you want to see is you want to show the work God is doing. And the more you value that, the more people around you will also value that in you. And that is an invincible life. So what does this look like for us at the refuge? What this looks like is, um, in a very practical way, a new commitment we've made as in uh, refuge men and refuge women ministries to, to invest in what we're calling just spiritual mentoring. What that looks like to one-on-one get together 
and, and in a real serious way, um, rub off on each other. Because when you're with somebody, you rub off on them. What are you rubbing off on them? And, and to make that a part of the ministries that we do. And, and the hope is, is, as we are really good and intentional about that with one another, um, that will just that will spread, that will ripple. And then you see yourself not just as a, someone who comes, but as someone who is looking, who, who am I going to mentor? Who, who am I going to invest in? And so someone comes in, it doesn't take long. It takes just maybe a week or two before someone's like, hey, who's your pal? Like, can, I, can, I sit, can I just be with you? Can I invest in you? That's healthy. That takes time, though, and that takes investment. That takes a whole church doing it. And so in a real practical way, that's what we want to do, to be a people that invest in each other. Another huge desire is that we would be a people that, that are purposefully um, multi-generational, investing in each other's lives in such a way that we are raising up each generation to honor God and to, to show his worth to the world. Um, to be multi-generational is it's more challenging than you ever know, and partly because we... Um, we want to spend time with people that understand us, and sometimes we don't feel like those who are younger than us or those that are older than us understand us. And so it takes a, a real um, decision on our parts to be a child that honors your parents. That's the decision you make. It doesn't come from this, the first response in your gut. To be an adult that, that even if it, the child is not yours, taking the time to invest in them, to the young man or young woman who comes in and just needs someone to care for them and have that conversation with them, that's, that's purposeful. And so we become a church that honors one another as we go towards Christ. So, lastly, what is your role? What is your investment? What are you doing here? Right? As we slow cook as a church together, as we marinate each other, uh, what's your role in that? Who are you investing in? Because if you're not, you can confidently leave here saying, I have made no investment. <laughs> that would be very humbling to say. <laughs> but, but if you are purposefully going, I am, like these people I'm surrounded by, I'm changing their life. Because God is changing me and I'm investing in them. And I'm, I'm man, I'm, I'm changing the Refuge Church. Because... We are move, as we move towards truth together, I'm letting the light of the gospel shine from me into all those that I'm around. So guys, make that investment. Please. Because only in doing that will we become a church that truly <laughs> uncovers the beauty of the gospel together. So that is our hope. That is the dream. That's the prayer um, that God has not just put in this church, but his church as a whole. So pray with me and then we'll worship together. God, sometimes we just want to stay in a little cocoon and just like change by ourselves. But you've put us together to learn what it means to love one another, be loved. I know some of us maybe here feel a great deal of loneliness and the idea of investing in someone else 
if we're not being invested in immediately, seems impossible. God, I pray for those who feel very lonely. We do pray they'll get connected with somebody. And, but even more than that, that, they will know how terrifically they've been loved by you. God, I pray that even if it requires um, us going through a time of pain, that, that we will be uncovered to show the beauty of your gospel. There will be nothing in our hearts that hinders that. God, so you'll get the glory. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.